Welcome to Breaking Badness, a special 2024 predictions episode. We actually recorded this um, originally as a live presentation on December 13th, and I am recording this introduction on uh, Monday, December 18th. Uh, but please join Tim Helming, uh, Sean McMee, and Daniel Schwalbe, all uh, resident uh, co-hosts of uh, Breaking Badness, um, as they review the predictions from uh, 2023, including what came true and what did not, along with new predictions for 2024. While it's not entirely possible, I guess it's probably more accurate to say it is not possible um, to predict the future, we can look at trends and data from malicious actors to make inferences on what could occur in the future to maintain a proactive and defensive stance. What malicious tactics might reign supreme in 2024? Listen and find out. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Well, guys, hard to believe it's been a year, huh? <laughs> it's been quite the year. And it's yeah. been quite a year, yeah. I, I, couldn't you say that almost every year, though? <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, this year was nothing. Nothing happened. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody ever says that. Yeah, yeah, right. No, exactly. Yeah, it's been a quiet year. I don't think so. Yeah, but clearly, I, I didn't get the memo on what to wear. I didn't have any taintful swag mm. on, so I guess yeah. I have the lone button down. Sorry, everybody. That's all right. For those of you who are in attendance who have watched last year's webinar, this setting should look somewhat familiar. Uh, this is also one of our last hurrahs in this space because we're actually moving offices here at the end of the month. Uh, but last year this worked pretty well. The U log is back, so uh, we decided we'll we'll utilize the space one more time. Yeah, I think we had a wreath last year, yeah, right? But that there, was the uh, yeah. victim of the move. Yes, here. that's yeah. our impacted move. So. <laughs> Yeah, if you've ever moved your house, well, it's a little bit more complicated moving an office. Because we'll more, get there. More yeah. cables. More cables. <laughs> yeah, mostly, cables. mostly because of cables. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, hey, I thought um, one of the things we could do is revisit a couple of our predictions from last year and let's see how we did. So uh, the first one had to do with the idea that maybe the demise of what was then called Twitter, what some of us stubbornly still call Twitter, I think just spitefully, uh, was greatly exaggerated. And, you know, there were a lot of folks saying, well, this is it, you know, it's all over, it's gonna crash and burn. And here we are, it still looks yeah. like it's got, uh, X keeps rolling. They keep on rolling. I would say it's probably a slow, smolder at this point it's on a glide slope and there's not a runway at the end of that yeah. glide slope is kind of what it looks like yeah but we have seen you know the infosec community kind of move into a bunch of different places yeah. right a bunch of them are still on on twitter slash x uh, yeah. but yeah they moved on to mastodon there's some in threads there's some in in blue sky like it's yeah, Blue world. Sky seems to have picked up a whole bunch. I'm not on that one. I don't know if either of you guys are, but uh, I'm there. Yeah, the initial exit definitely seemed to be Mastodon, but there's technical issues with that, with the whole federated distributed things that some people just don't want to deal with. Yeah. Uh, so I think that wasn't quite the answer. And then you know, if you if you build a large following on Twitter or whatever. Um, it's hard to recreate that otherwise, and you know, if you like your adoring fans, it's hard to give that up. So I, I understand why people kind of ended up sticking with it, even though the initial migration 
uh, move was maybe a little bit more over ambitious than it turned out to be. But so I, I will say, and, and don't shame me for this, um, Threads is still kind of a nice place. People are still friendly there. I got, yes, uh, Zuckerberg and team built something vaguely reasonable. Now, is it useful for InfoSec? A uh, whole different question. Kind of depends on who the community is that's there. I mean, actually, I shouldn't say kind of. It entirely depends on who the community is yeah. that's there and how uh, how much they're how active they are. I'm still on Mastodon, and uh, there's there's a fair number of people there that you know that I get some good infosec info from, uh, and I've found it still is fairly polite and not super controversial, at least in the little corner i'm on infosec.exchange and uh that one you know yep. it doesn't seem too bad so i'm happy there for the moment uh but who knows anyway yeah i think i think we were right that it's its demise was exaggerated at uh, at the time last year so we'll see where we are a year from now we're not specifically i think making a, a new prediction about that this year but we'll still keep an eye on on that so what do we got next what are we going to revisit from last year uh, I don't know, something small, inconsequential. Oh yeah, that there was some geopolitical thing. What, what, oh, I think yeah. Not, yeah, yeah. Us like the rest of the, the other world. elephant in the yeah. room that's not. Uh, uh, yeah. The mastodon. Mastodon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like everybody else, we predicted uh, the full-on cyber war uh, as part of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Um, that also seemed to be a little exaggerated. Uh, we will say we have seen a lot of cyber activity. Uh, Russia has been using um, their cyber weapons, but you know, as a full-on cyber war. Uh, well, you know, so you know, some Microsoft researchers said like we won't know the full extent of what's actually happening. Like it's going to take 20 or 30 years before we really know. Um, but uh, you know, it, it takes time to develop sophisticated attacks, and so you can imagine Russia did everything they could at the beginning of the war, and then they realized it was gonna be this long slug match, and they're like, okay, we're shifting to living off the land and going back to what we do best, these little attacks, these little disruptions, but it hasn't been the great big- Nationwide blackout or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah, but real time update, right? As of this morning, uh, somebody took out the largest uh, Ukrainian uh, network operator. Uh, I'll make sure I get this right. Yeah, Kyivstar, right? The big mobile operator with 24 million subscribers, uh, damaged infrastructure, and they are offline. Um, don't know who it is, right? There's no attribution, but um, if I were a betting man, I would bet on Sandworm. Yeah. I know. What do you two think? I I agree with your your potential attribution that has their fingerprints all over it. And uh, to be clear, no idea. Like, no, no, this is, this is yeah. pure speculation. Yeah. It just happened last night. So. And also to be clear, you know, because when we think about cyber war, we think about sort of the cyber kinetic connection. And here we're not talking about stuff that blew up. We're talking about servers that got wiped. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, what we were we were considering last year, you know, are they going to damage power stations and or damage water facilities, things like that. And uh, uh, so far. Nothing that's been really obvious about well, that. Well, at the beginning, it was the takeout of satellites. Yes. Right? Yeah. So the satellite communications, that was the big move. But that was in 22, right? Yeah. That was, so that, that so that was the beginning of the conflict. Yeah. 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 
and uh, uh, you know, they obviously there's been shelling of power plants, but that's not really cyber related. Right. It is infrastructure, but yeah. that's very yeah. kinetic, not cyber. I think we're also seeing uh, Russia doing a lot of misinformation, disinformation, or influence operations. This is going to NATO into the U.S. to try to break up the people supporting Ukraine so they don't get as much funding, so they can't continue the war effort. So that's kind of where I think Russia's moving towards. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good. All right. Well, should we move on to some predictions for... This what we think 2024 is going to portend? Uh, yeah, because we're going to get everything correct. Yeah, time. Yeah, take these <laughs> to the bank. <laughs> uh, you know what we didn't do last year? I don't think we talked about large language models, but by golly, we're going to talk about them this year. Yeah, yeah, uh, LLMs. Uh, you know, OpenAI and all of the other companies, you know, Anthropic, they're making all these models and you can use them as a service. You can download your own private models thanks to Facebook's uh, Lambda or Llamas and other follow-ons. Like there's, it's exploded onto the scene um, and it's not going anywhere. Yeah, have, have you two seen the Microsoft Security Copilot? Yes. Right, that's kind of in, in beta and coming out. I haven't seen it yet, but I've, I've you and I were talking about yeah. it a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, so that's clearly a thing, and one of the ways they're trying to make that successful is a large number of real-time plugins to APIs to different security services, and then you can do your queries, it can do its queries, it can return you back stuff, and hopefully it's not going to hallucinate. <laughs> um, Have fever dreams. Right? Yeah, so, you know, like, where are we going, right? Well... This plugin architecture is clearly uh, a key component to getting large language models to move into the future and to have access to what's happening today that doesn't pollute their model space, right? So, you know, we're going to see technically these large language models move from handling, you know, a dozen plugins to the hundreds of plugins, and kind of have maybe own plugin meta manager, and it's it's going to be a mess, but it's going to be engineering work, and it's it's going to do stuff. It's gonna make these models uh, adaptable into various different parts of society. So, so 2024 year of the AI plugin. Yeah. Right. So all right. Here's here's one concrete example, and I'm going to actually shout out to Callie because this is a conversation she and I had. Uh, we're going to see large language models fully deployed in marketing, um, and they're going to use plugins to query the web and other sources of information to pull content automatically about large companies to generate marketing collateral that is fully customized and personalized to people in that market, in that segment, in that company, but it's going to be all written by AI. Mm -hmm. All right. And where the real prediction is, is once marketing figures it out and can make money on it, Fishers will be there too. Yeah, for sure. Well, and for those of you who know me uh, or know about me, uh, I'm probably one of the biggest AI skeptics slash detractors around here. Part of it is my job as the defender of the organization. Um, I think the technology in general is pretty cool, but the room for error and for accidentally disclosing proprietary information or stuff that you know you don't really want the rest of the world to have access to, I think is a real risk. A lot of these like co-pilots and add-ons seem really cool. Uh, you add them on and all of a sudden you do something and then whatever code you just written, 
is gets uploaded and com becomes part of the LLM and now it's accessible to other people. I think we haven't seen the worst of that yet. And I also think 2024 will have a bunch of big oopses when it comes around that, that hopefully will temper some of this stuff. I mean, if you, if you import a, a model and build your own locally, I think that's pretty cool and it can do some really nice things. It's the like pasting stuff into chat GPT or BART or whatever, uh, getting an input or, or an output out of it. But what a lot of people I don't think realize is that whatever input it gives, it will also index and use. And that's where the, in my opinion, the risk comes from. That's why I call it chat APT. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, we didn't predict, since we didn't predict anything to do with these large language models, we also didn't predict that people would write end of year predictions with chat GPT. <laughs> we did not do any of that. But yeah, the idea of, I mean, I don't know, is Merriam-Webster going to have uh, prompt engineering as like their word of the year? Sometimes they, I think they use a little phrase and not just a single yeah. word. I don't know, but that's a, that's a little phrase that wasn't in my lexicon a year ago. Um, but yeah, this concern about the leakage of data into these uh, models is really, really a big deal. And we haven't seen anywhere near where that's really going to play out, right, in the end. So Yeah, but we can still make some predictions about it. Yeah, we certainly can. Yeah. Feel free. Well, I was going to go to this next prediction. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So, all right, we've got large language models that are trained on people's code bases. Right, or just language models that understand code very, very well. So what's going to happen? Uh, bad actors are going to ask language models to like, go through the code base and find all the zero days. And ask language models then to write the prototype zero day code for them and get the exploit out immediately. They can probably even take full on binaries with the patches and say, here's this binary, here's this patch, do the reverse engineering and tell me what the O day is. Right? Let's Let's cut that O-day cycle down. So the prediction is not that that's going to happen, because I think that's happening now. The prediction is that's going to ramp up the number of O-days and the number of CVEs we see and the pain in patching. Um, and also shout out to Joe St. Savier for kind of talking through this idea originally. Um, yeah, I think we're going to have some problems keeping up to date with patches in 2024. As an industry, we're doing already such a great job patching right now. So, you know, <laughs> we had that covered. And so, yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, that's, I mean, look, there's been uh, the idea of machine learning based code review and, uh, you know, vulnerability finding for a while. There's commercial products that do that and there have been for a while. So, um, the idea that that can go farther is in, in, in the hands of the wrong actors. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't like that. Seems like a reasonable prediction. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> well, shall we move on to ransomware? Yeah, that's. Let's move on to ransomware. Yeah, that's, that's going to get fun. progressively. Darker. I mean, this is a security predictions webinar. I think we're going to talk about some mm, some unfun stuff maybe through this. So uh, the first one I'll talk about, and uh, I'm also going to give a hat tip to uh, one of our. Employees who's not on the webcast today, unfortunately, but uh, um, he made a prediction about ransomware having to do with the idea that more and more ransomware actors are going to actually move away from the encryption part and just go straight to the extortion part. I mean, we've seen for years double extortion ransomware encrypt the stuff on the network as well as put 
uh, sensitive data up for uh, sale on underground forums and whatnot and threaten to shame slash extort the victim. So this prediction is, you know what, the encrypting the local network part, maybe we're not even going to worry about that so much. We're just going to focus on the extortion. And it was, um, there was a, this was substantiated partly by a persona associated with Conti saying on a forum, hey, no more, no more uh, crypto. Um, meaning in that case, no more encryptors, right? So, um, but the prediction is we're going to see more of that and that we're going to go to, uh, uh, we're going to see just pure extortion as a form of ransomware in 24. Seems plausible to me. I have not seen so far a major story that said uh, this particular victim had only a pure extortion attack on them. Um, I'm, I'm sure that's happened. I'm, I'm sure it is too. I, I'm just saying it hasn't been one of the big stories. It feels like a black pasta kind of approach right it's like oh we want to get in we want to get data we want to get the money out move on to the next victim right mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yeah i think uh that's uh, uh has a high likelihood of happening because it's actually if you look at it from a pure software development standpoint and a qa cycle making ransomware work on the plethora of different versions of operating systems that's out there is actually not easy and it often fails. Half the times it gets encrypted in such a way that's not recoverable, which is bad for business because word will get out and nobody will pay the ransom because you're screwed anyway. Uh, or it just doesn't work and doesn't do the encryption. So like eliminating that you know, point of failure, I think from a, a you know, bad actor standpoint makes a lot of sense. Now, there's another challenge though, because in order to make that work, you have to exfil a lot more. Because if you crypt, you, this all happens locally. There's not a lot going over the network except for the key, uh, if you're doing it right. Uh, but in order to have a credible claim that you can extort somebody because you have all their data, you have to exfil that. So that's a potential Achilles heel here uh, in that concept because if you're able to watch the network, now with cloud computing, that's a whole different story because you have less visibility. But if you have your perimeter and you can actually watch you know, data in and out of your network of your data stores, you might be able to catch that sooner um, and have have possibly have a leg Almost seems like some sort of, I don't know, DNS-oriented forensics might be... Uh, does that exist? I, I have don't know. No idea. Somebody got to make it if yeah. it doesn't. Yeah, I, there's my prediction. That's going to be big. <laughs> yeah, whoever did that would have good our site. Oh, weird. Oh, oh, Open the iris just a little bit uh -huh. to be able to see that. <laughs> All right. I will go immediately on to uh, Sean. I think you had another one uh, yeah, from well, someone on your team, maybe? Yeah. So Aaron yeah. G. Clef on the research team kind of took this idea of uh, actors not encrypting and then followed on with what we saw recently with Alf V. Uh, so if you haven't seen this, uh, last month, Alf V reported to the SEC that a company they hacked did not report the hack to the SEC. Yeah, uh, there's a certain, um, it takes a certain kind of courage to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right, so this is now regulation. If you are a publicly traded company, you have four days to report such issues to the SEC, right? So everybody's working on what their processes are and how to deal with it. But Aaron's prediction is, we're going to see a new slew of uh, actors, probably APTs, pretending to be ransomware, 
hacking into the system just to steal a dock or two to prove they got in, but not actually ransomware you, just to submit the filing to the SEC to cause pain and issues with the government and with the corporation to have to deal with all the paperwork, check all their systems, and just drain resources. So this is just a uh, kind of explosion of process that's going to cause people to not do so great. Uh, a new form like of denial of service. New form of denial of service, effectively. Yeah. Tying up that process. Company. Yeah, government uh, denial of service. Yeah. Uh, what we're calling it, tattletaleware. Yeah, it's something. It's something. You heard it here first. Yeah. Um, so yeah. snitchware. Yeah, snitchware, tattletaleware. Like we think it's going to happen. No. That's the prediction. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, um, I guess this one's also me. I'm doing all the predictions right now. Hey, you know uh, a lot about ransomware. It's all yeah. good. So shifting gears a little bit, uh, what we've seen in the last year or two is kind of the commercialization of the ransomware supply chain, right? So specifically, we're talking about initial access brokers being specialized and getting into systems, and then they hand off to other parts of the ransomware supply chain to actually do the attack, go in, steal the data, do the extortion, and then everybody shares in the profits. So here's my question is, is the ransomware broader community, right, maturing fast enough to support the specialization? And my question is, will people realize the value that is inside initial access brokers, you know, do a deal with them, get access to one or two places, and then just hack into the initial access broker to steal other logins so they don't have to give them their cut. So I think there's actually going to be some internal strife inside the ransomware community as they try to figure out their rules of engagement in a black market that doesn't have you know, business protections. Will we see things like, you know, Killnet and people there got docs because other people didn't like them, but do similar sort of outings if there's backstabbing? Um, I think we're going to see some of that. I, I don't know if the ransomware community has matured enough to handle this because there's a lot of money at, at play here, possibly. Luckily for us good guys, there's no honor among thieves, so I predict this will happen. Yeah. Well, and they have not uh, created, we know of, uh, underground economy regulatory commissions and so <laughs> forth they yeah. don't have their gdpr uh but uh, yeah but yeah you know the larger an ecosystem becomes the larger a population a community whatever you want to call it you know the more the possibilities of infighting and uh different kinds of of bad actor bad acting by the bad actors like you say um it, it's gonna uh it's sort of inevitable and Obviously, we've seen a lot already of, like you were saying, um, some of these actors uh, tearing each other down in forums, um, you know, helping to undermine each other. And so that will continue. The question will be, you know, do we, does that make life easier for defenders, harder for defenders about the same? You know, it's, that, uh, that, that's kind of harder to predict in my, yeah, in my estimation. I, I'm not sure. Um, but one angle on this that I don't think people uh, are thinking enough about is mostly this ransomware ecosystem is Russia or Russia affiliated right now, right? But China's moving into the space, right? We have Iran and other actors moving into the space. North Koreans are not bad at it. This is one of the only ways to get money. Oh man, North Korea, like 
They are, uh, they're kind of fun to watch. Can, can I say that? Is that okay? <laughs> like they, they're willing to like, like iterate and try new things as long as they can get that, you know, sweet cryptocurrency out. Like they're, they're willing to explore and test and like they're, they're kind of doing their own thing. And uh, there's something there. Cause I don't, I don't think North Korea is going to play in this game. They're going to want to have their own full tool chain. But as we start seeing um, other large communities interact with the Russian ransomware, I think there's more room for this sort of dissonance and possible hacking of each other. Yeah. No, I see that. I see that happening. So, yeah. well, we'll have to uh, keep our eye on it. Maybe that's one that we're going to revisit a year from now as well. Now, uh, going back into the world of kind of AI-ish things, deepfakes. Deepfakes. So, let's talk yeah. about deepfakes. In fact, actually, we're not real. Yeah, uh, we are. are real? We are a deepfake. Yeah. Uh, sorry, folks. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're we're sort of uh, we'll be the max headrooms of cybersecurity predictions. We did kind of cover that last year a little bit. We talked about it a little bit. Yeah, we're gonna, we got a few more things to, I think, to say about it. So uh, where should we start? Uh, deepfakes as a service? There, that's definitely something in the whole AI wake because AI is uh, capable of generating uh, Picture content, uh, images, as well as sound from from samples, pretty well. Um, there's actually something really concerning going around uh, in uh, the sort of high school age population, where there are very powerful programs out there that are not that difficult to access that you can use to take somebody's picture of them clothed, and the AI will undress them. It's horrible. It looks super convincing, it is terrible, and especially if it involves minors, I mean, it's never good in any circumstances, but then it's a whole nother ball game. And there's been many stories covered in the news where you know, high schoolers, you know, either for revenge or because they think it's funny, will you know, grab a picture of a person that they go to school with and then run it through the AI and then share the effectively the naked picture of that. Even though it's not real, it's very convincing and it's horribly embarrassing and terrible to the person that's being done to. And that's one of the like obviously dark sides of this. There's, the technology in general is great and very powerful, but as it goes with things on the internet, everything that can be abused will be, and that's a, a very terrible example of that. It it sort of makes me wonder if at least a bit of a mitigating factor might become that it becomes so widely known that this stuff is fake that everybody assumes that it's fake when they see something like that out there, and. I would hope that would at least blunt the effect a little bit for people that are victims of that, but yeah, that's a horrible thing. Well, and us as you know, adults with some decades of life experience behind us can rationalize it, but like a 13-year-old yeah. girl that, that just had that happen to, yeah. I'm not sure that's going to It's not going to be much of a mitigation. No, yeah. no, it's terrible. But the idea of deepfake as a service, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, everything that we see in the... If there's any way to make money off of it, it seems to come as a service these days. You can get pretty much anything as a service, almost. Yeah, so. and, and some of the other services that have come up, you know, don't technically qualify as deep fakes, but I'm going to throw it in this category. There are now services that will take 
the likeness and sound and uh, you can send it emails, uh, chats of a loved one um, as they're going through their end of life care and then build an automated uh, chat bot that has their likeness, that uses their voice patterns so you can communicate with your loved ones after they've passed away. So like that's not a deep fake because that's for you know somebody who has signed up for the service and is part of the family. Um, it's also something interesting to think about, but where it moves into deep fake category is if, what if you do it to somebody who's alive and now you have a fully functioning you know, LLM-based chatbot with their voice that can interact in real time with people. Hmm. And if you seed it with prompts saying like, your goal is to convince this person to do this wire transfer, go to yeah. town, and, and now you do have a, a interactive deep fake. Well, and for folks that share a lot of their own information on social media, boy, it's just gonna be a feeding frenzy Open for season. anything that, that does that. So yeah, that's gonna be, uh, practice your OPSEC, <laughs> make your OPSEC better than it's ever been before, because uh, these things are, and at least the three of us, you know, do speak fairly regularly at conferences or we're doing these webinars, which is recorded, which eventually will be available online. So you get a large sample size of our voices. So yeah. there are you know, tens of thousands of other practitioners out there that do the same thing. So the, the source is available. It so is, if you see me happen. saying anything you don't like, it was fake. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. never happened. <laughs> uh, uh, do you want to get into that? Uh, deep fakes and misinformation, disinformation, and and media. Well, uh, yes, but let's do. There were a couple of things we were going to talk about having to do with the work realm uh, <laughs> and, work and realm. The companies and stuff. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll take one, um, which is because it it ties really closely to what you just said, Daniel. So uh, I could easily imagine a company assessing the risk of a successful deepfake of part of their leadership and going, okay, that would be a real problem. I mean, imagine, you know, the, the PR damage if there's a uh, image of somebody, a leader from a company saying completely terrible things or, or committing some kind of crime or whatnot, that's going to be problematic. So my prediction around this is that some companies fearing this are going to deliberately try to keep some of their key people out of the public eye, give as few samples as possible to these uh, deepfake creation bots so that, you know, keep their voice off the internet, keep their video off the internet as much as possible. You, it's hard to be in a leadership position these days and not be out there in some form or fashion. But I can imagine a company looking around and saying, well, so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so have kept pretty low profiles. So let's keep it that way. So let's keep that training material out of deep fake work. By, by so-and-so, you mean like the CFO and like the finance team? Yeah, I mean, right? wh whoever they've got near the top of the leadership chain who hasn't already been out there and, and given a lot of training material mm -hmm. to deep fakes, let's keep them quiet. Let's keep, you know, keep things as much, uh, funnel everything maybe through fewer spokespeople and so forth. I don't know, I think I think there's gonna be something, we're gonna see something along those lines. What does deep fake protection look like? So that's one that I was thinking about. Oh, business idea. 
deep fake protection as a service. <laughs> Perfect. Nice. We should do a whole prediction around what's yeah. the most ridiculous thing that's going to be as a service next year. No, no, I got the most. I got the prediction for the most ridiculous use of deep fakes. Okay, go. Right, and so this this prediction, uh, I say it tongue in cheek, but my prediction is is that some company will actually do this, and they will claim fears of deep fakes ruining their business as an excuse to force everybody back into the office. Oh, yeah. So it's return to office because you can't do a deep fake when you're actually all sitting in person talking in a conference room. And it's this is 100% FUD. This is there's no like logic to this, but I can just see some company using that as the excuse to get everybody back in the office. So my prediction is some company is going to be dumb enough to do that. So there's an opportunity. I think what you're saying, Sean, is there's an opportunity for someone out there to create the uh, deep fake based forced return to office as a service. Uh, yeah, so D-F-F-R-T-O-A-S, perfect. Yeah, I, I hope that doesn't come to pass. Boy, the whole, the whole question, I mean, actually you could make a relatively interesting uh, discussion of predictions around return to office and, you know, how much are we going to see of that uh, here in Seattle? You know, we've seen a mix of some of the really large companies doing that. Some of the other ones not. Um, There's and, currently a lot of games of chickens in mid play. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. So um, so that's going to be really interesting. And I, I will just say I'm glad I'm not a uh, I'm not invested in office real estate right now in a big downtown core. I mean, we're moving in part because we don't need as much space anymore. Yep. We'll always have an office, there's always people here, but never 150, 200 people anymore. Yep, yep, that's a permanent change. What else, what else we got in, in the world of deep fakes? I think we, we kind of, we did several things around this. Yeah, well, I think we're moving on to the media predictions now. Yeah, let's go there. Yeah, please. So, well, so one of the thoughts that I had around deep fakes, you know, of course, 2024, U.S. presidential election year, uh, a lot of important uh, congressional races as well. And so as I think about deepfakes and all the nefarious things that can be done with them, one of the things that occurred to me um, that I think we're going to see in one way or another is, of course, deepfakes all over social media, no question about it, it's already happened. My prediction is that a deepfake uh, is going to make its way into a traditional media campaign ad, and, uh, and then the question, media. like TV, TV, like you're gonna have a TV ad, radio, that's going to could be radio. Mm -hmm. Yep, either one. I don't know how much uh, I don't know how much radio figures in the big picture these days, um, but as a radio guy myself, I mm -hmm. hope it still does. But um, uh, yeah, I think I think we're gonna see it because. If you think about the fact that the deniability is complicated now with these kinds of things. So if somebody goes, and, and the other thing is somebody offers a, you know, a hit piece on, uh, on the opposition and they say, I'm not gonna, you know, absolutely this is authentic, 100% take it to the bank. And it was really a deep fake. Is that campaign really gonna turn down that opposition? I don't know. So. I think I think it's going to happen. I, is it going to happen on a national level? You know, Super Bowl ad, probably not. But is it going to happen in traditional media somewhere? Unfortunately, I think it's likely. Well, and, and 
campaigns can already effectively stretch the truth legally in campaign ads. Yeah. Uh, taking things out of context is popular, cutting them together to make right. it sound like something else. This will just supercharge that. Exactly, exactly. And that's a good point. I mean, the, the tape cut form of deepfake, analog deepfake, you could almost call it, uh, even if it was done digitally, it still was kind of taking actual real footage and splicing it in those ways. That was a form of deep fake that's already been around. So yeah. you're right. This is just kind of smoothing the edges on the same concept. Let's, let's take it but let's take it one step deeper. Let's 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 do the inception on this. Okay. Right. Go. So you've got you've got a deep fake that's going to be out part of a campaign. They'll be like, oh what's going on? And then other actors will come in with new deep fakes to you know, refudiate the original deep fake claim mm. and claim something not quite as bad. Oh, they didn't really say this. They said this instead, or it's actually way worse. You might see both at the same time. And so now you're just going to get into the straight, you know, Soviet style uh, fire hose of falsehoods. And you're just going to see that kind of rapid fire. It's all going to be, you know, varieties of deep fakes at different levels. Possibly spun Deep fakes all the way down. Deep fakes all the way down. Maybe two opposing campaigns will uh, put their individual like deepfake generators at each other. It immediately analyzes the new video, makes a counter video, and it just keeps going until like it melts. Down. It almost becomes a live debate from yeah. between deepfakes. <laughs> yeah, Max Headroom for president. Uh, <laughs> and hey, y'all, hey, not to be the you know disembodied voice, but we got a question of: Have you seen the British TV series The Capture? Oh, I have Capture. not. The capture. No. Sounds like did did the Callie, have you seen it? I've not, but it's a Brit it's a British TV series. Um I'm surprised my husband hasn't found that because he likes British TV shows. <laughs> All right. Well, no, I think we've no, got we're not familiar. Sounds like. to watch. Hey, thanks for sending that in, uh, whoever whoever did. Oh, thank you. Yeah, check that out. It sounds like capture must be a video capture or voice capture or something like that. The things that ensue because of that yeah well say more about this whole firehood of falsehood concept uh well this is this is just straight up uh you go back into the cold war or even go back into the history of how russia and the soviet union operated uh the whole idea was just to sow fear and doubt amongst people that could challenge your power or authority a uh, great way of doing that is just to send out multiple variations of a particular event or story all of which contain some nuggets of truth, but none of which are actually truthful. And the people just don't know what to believe because all of them sound credible. And it's like, well, I heard, you know, he was shot in the kitchen. It's like, well, I heard he was shot in the pantry, right? Well, I heard he was stabbed in the kitchen. It's like, well, like what really happened? Mm -hmm. And that's enough to be like, you know, if you are trying to get the truth out there, it's just enough for people to fall off the path a little bit and then you're sowing confusion, you're sowing doubt. Um, you know, this is a run book that has been done forever, and social media has amplified it, you know, so 2016 elections. Uh, and also what's happening in the Ukraine conflict right now, like this is part of Russia's current playbook with uh, NATO allies in the U.S. to try to get them to stop funding, you know, support for Ukraine. So... You know, it's uh, it's a real thing. There are full-on playbooks, strategies, campaigns of how to operate. How much is too much? You know, like it's they have it down to a science. 
Yeah, the study of misinformation and disinformation is going to be, I think, a major domain of study over the next decades. Yeah, it's scary stuff out there. Should we move away from the really scary stuff and move to the the biggest prediction of all? The most important the prediction. The most important prediction. <laughs> uh, I think that we do. We're do uh -huh. this here. Oh, oh yeah. Actually, if you guys don't mind, we have another question before oh, you please. Go for it. Is there any consideration for domain tools to score a domain for misinformation, disinformation, propaganda? Mm. Yes, so that is uh, that's an excellent question. Uh, currently, right now, all of our risk scoring uh, is focused on the notion of malicious intent, which is the domain that we believe was registered for a malicious purpose, fish, malware, and spam. Uh, to move into a full information, disinformation, misinformation realm would mean fully capturing all the content, analyzing the content, comparing the content to all the other content on the internet, uh, determining what sources we think are truthful and trustworthy, and then making opinion on it. Um, I'm not against the idea. Uh, might be a little challenging to get out the door in 2024. Yeah, and that's the idea behind, you know, the predictive scoring that we do now for phishing malware or spam says, as soon as the domain comes into existence, we want to be able to make a statement about how likely it is before it's actually done anything. If you're analyzing content, the content's out there because that's what you're out there to analyze. So um, sort of ipso facto, it, it wouldn't be predictive, it would be analytical uh, on it. And um, it's that's a really important thing to do. I'm not sure it's a domain tools thing to do, but I hope, I hope if we don't do it, I hope somebody does because that's really important. The other thing to think about though from that perspective is that social media is where this stuff is going to go virally and so how much is it going to rely on individual domains versus it just goes on the big social media platforms and they try to circulate it there but it's a great idea it's a great question and uh, I do hope I do hope somebody uh, makes that happen um, whether it's us or, or someone else so okay so uh, Callie any more any other questions no I actually uh... If anybody has any questions, now's the time to type them into the panel. Well, we'll do our uh, we'll do our really big important prediction. Yep. And then uh, and then after that, we'll see if we've got any further ones that came in from the audience. So, well, you all probably know what the topic is going to be, but I'll say it anyway, just in case you weren't quite certain what it was going to be. Uh, how long are Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey going to? going to make it as a couple. Well, you know, today being the 13th, her movie just dropped on streaming today. Today. So we can see the Eras Tour on streaming like tonight. So Don't leave the webinar early to go see that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, so we've each written down a number. Uh, I believe that we agreed that the unit is years. Yep. Right. And decimals are allowed. Uh, and so I'll yeah. do a count of three and uh, then we will hold up. Our prediction. Our prediction for how long Taylor and Travis are going to survive. So, yep. ready? Yep. One, two, three. So, I'm not sure you can actually see that. Whoops. Yeah. All right. Well, so what, what do you have, Daniel? So, I have 0.75, so equal of nine months starting January since we're doing 2024. Mm -hmm. so. uh, we didn't talk about those ground rules. Yeah. I, I think I was thinking in terms of 
by the time it ends, what was the total elapsed time? I went with three years, even. You know, kind of like my uh, hoodies on Breaking Badness, I tend to go for the straight integers. I went with three years, I, which I think is going to be toward the longer end of probably what people think uh, about this. But I don't know. I'm I'm feeling some staying power there. Yeah. We'll no. I, so I wrote one or ten plus. <laughs> you right. can't get two. Right. All right. So <laughs> let me let me walk through the my rationale here. All right. So I do think a large part of this was big sports and big music collaborating together to say if we have them as a couple, we're going to get all of her fans watching football, buying jerseys, um, you know, seeing seeing all the ads on TV, and they're going to get all of football fans like going to the movie with their girlfriends or you know their partners right so it's going to be money making for everybody right so it's it's convenient that way mm. right but Wait, I, was this all dreamed up by their pr people it's 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 <laughs> a yeah corporate match in heaven but i think he 100 percent smitten for real right and uh you know it's you know Taylor, she's so good at her PR, right? So she looks super happy. I hope she's super happy. I can't tell, yeah. right? So so if she's, right, she's going to have to be the one to break up, right? So prediction one, if there's a breakup, she will do it. Yeah, right. I think that's likely. Right, and if she's all in, yeah, they're married, they're done for like 10 plus years, right? But if she's not all in, she'll cut it off in a year. Well, of course, the thing that's practically a meme about this is, well, she'll get a song out of the breakup. Oh, she'll she'll get a full album. Yeah, yeah. hopefully. Now, Taylor, if you're watching this because somebody sent this to you, or if you're I live, uh, if you're live, put something yeah, in the know, comments. But <laughs> I am an unabashed Taylor Swift fan. I'm not ashamed to admit it. My daughter is a bigger fan, so somebody sends this to you. Hi. <laughs> now, did this make you a bigger Travis Kelsey fan? No. Okay. Uh, interesting. Well. We'll have to see. Um, the I see. I think most of the football fans probably already were Taylor Swift fans, so we'll see how much that changes on the football side. But I think he had a lot to gain by this one. Uh, yeah. Because, yeah, I think. I mean, I'm probably not the only one. I I will admit I hadn't heard of Travis Kelsey until this what? relationship came. But well, I don't um, I don't follow football really closely. Come on, so. Mahomes like they're the they're the magic duo. I know, but they're not my team, so. Not my team we, either. We but that go long. Hawks. Anyway, yeah, go Hawks. We saw the go Huskies, number two in the nation. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, Coop fans. Um, <laughs> so, well, I think that takes us pretty much to the end. Uh, Callie, unless we have any other uh, audience questions that came in. We do. Um, All right. Yeah. We. What do you see as the biggest potential threat vector for 2024? Biggest potential threat vector. Uh well so it's still it's still phishing. Um no smishing. It's moved to SMS. Uh that's that's the new hotness for the, the threat vectors in 2024. We are going to see more people write automation to be sending people SMS text messages with links to short domains to try to get them to do things like fill up forms to identify your missed package or to claim a gift card that you have or a refund or rebate that you didn't know that you have. Um, so much of the uh, spam that's been going through our systems for a long time, we had years to write nuanced spam filters to keep our inboxes clean. Uh, we will see the SMS version of that technology 
grow rapidly in 2024. If you want to know more about that, by the way, uh, the Breaking Badness episode that drops today uh, already did uh, talks about this with our uh, researcher friend, Mel Cookies, who yeah. has made a big study of this and says some of what is going on right now is among the most sophisticated that a very seasoned fishing researcher has ever seen. So, um, so check that out. And also we've got uh, a couple of blogs about uh, U.S. Postal Service-based smishing. Yeah, I think, you know, I remind folks sort of regularly that um, although ransomware gets a lot of news, business email compromise, according to the FBI, still really outpaces it as far as the actual losses. So that's a species of phishing. Not to say that phishing couldn't be an initial vector for ransomware also, because uh, it probably is. But, um, I, you know, the first thing that came into my head about this, because the question is formulated, the biggest threat vector, you know, and I, so I'm just thinking broadly all across the board. And I, it, the first thing that came into my head was misinformation and disinformation. Um, so I think that is a huge vector. That's probably what prompted the question about would we ever do uh, you know, some risk scoring on domains for that. But from a purely cyber perspective, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to bet against phishing in various forms. Got anything yep. else to you think? Um, I think the, the implementation, as we already previously talked about, of deep fakes into phishing, smishing, et cetera. Like, oh, here's a voicemail, you know, check this out, et cetera. I think that that is is coming in because it's the entry point to so many things, it's very versatile. You know, whatever infrastructure you build to automate these fishes, you can point it at a lot of different things. You know, if you're going after, you know, a counter takeover or to infiltrate uh, a larger organization because the people on the edge are always the lowest hanging fruit targets. Callie, do we have just a minute more for something? Yeah, we have, and we have one more question too. Okay, well, well, before you read that question, for everybody that's on, if you have received a US Postal Service or Postal Service of your country, if you're not in the US uh, based SMS or regular fish, just put in the question thing, put like a plus one or something in the question thing. We can use that as a, a uh, sort of an impromptu poll here. But what's the next question you got? Uh, Meta recently made a strong statement in calling out weak governance of ICANN and the domain registries and domain registrars. As we see more regulations, regulation push for you know AI, SEC, antitrust. Uh, what about more regulation re-domain registrations? I mean, in some ways, this is something we've kind of lamented for a long time, right? Is that that anybody can go register a domain, they can pose as anybody else. Uh, if they're not using privacy, they can use somebody else's name. And if they're using privacy, then the, whatever the content is can be pretending to be somebody else to say nothing of all of the awful things that they they do with those domains. Um, so that, you know, that has been a, a really interesting kind of legal and administrative space because it spans so many jurisdictions. There are a lot of complications with it. So uh, I kind of understand the sentiment behind it and, and the lack of controls around how and who, et cetera, for uh, registering domains has led to a lot of nefarious activity. So as to do I think that it's likely that it's going to change a lot in 24? I don't think so is my guess. Um, ICANN is not known for changing real quickly. They don't turn on a dime. There's so much money at stake. I don't think it's gonna move the needle whatsoever. I mean, 
Mickey Mouse owns a lot of domains, yeah. but it's not Disney. And so there are, pretty much every registry has rules that said if you provide fake information, objectively provable fake information, they can yank the registration. But the times that that actually happens are so minimal that, yeah, if they're not even going to do that, I don't see any more appetite to make this uh, more effective. I wrote a blog in like 2014 or something about how many fictitious characters owned the most domains, you know, Darth Vader and Superman and Batman and so forth. And uh, it might be time for an update to that. But yeah, I, I don't see it changing. Do you see anything to add? No, I'll say like definitely, you know, watching what Meta is doing closely. Uh, it's an interesting tactic. Um, you know, like we'll see, see how it plays out in the courts to see if they can, you know, try to get ICANN to put something on record or try to make some changes. So like, you know, Meta's got the, got the power to do it and they've got the concerns of brand protection around Facebook and Instagram and stuff. So that's useful. Um, I'll be curious to see how that plays out over 2024 because that could start a ripple that could affect, you know, a real change. Yeah. Yeah. Is this yeah. the second time uh, that I've said that Zuckerberg and company are doing something good? <laughs> how much did I pay you? Gally, uh, <laughs> oh. what else have we got? That that was our final question. Okay. All right. Well, well uh, I'll let you guys finish up. All right. Well, hey, it's been a ton of fun. Nice warm fire. Sorry, Sean, you're probably not getting a lot of the heat off the fire here, but it feels really good. So we'll put you in one of these seats next year. Uh, I'm good. Uh, <laughs> thanks, everybody, for joining us. Thanks for those questions. We love getting those, and we love making these things interactive. Hope everybody has a great 2024. Until next year. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.